Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. And the double clap signifies the start of an episode. And we are in the back of the freezing cold warehouse. And listen, guys, it's only going to get colder. But before we begin, hey, everybody, this is Connor Holloway of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, if you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you're entertained, or you learn something, dude, just share it with a friend. And if you don't have any friends, you shouldn't be listening Listening to podcasts, listening yeah. to podcasts. You should probably go make some friends. I, I would guess, you know, that'd be the next step. They're just trying to get some information so they have something to talk about with potential friends. Exactly. Real quick, before I introduce my guest on the right, one one sec. Can you actually just move this way a little bit? And then you'll feel the sweet spot on the mic. Here. How's this? How do you feel? Feels good. You feel handsome? I feel mic'd up. Okay, good to go. Oh, Bix is coming up. And, and Jack, can you just turn the mic for him real quick? There you go. Now you feel that sweet spot. Cool. Yeah, right there. Right there. Okay, wait. Before I introduce my guest on the right, in the studio today, we have Costa Rica Bix. Bix, introduce yourself. Who are you? Hey, guys. It's me, Jack Bigelow, your favorite member of the uh, GDP Army. And listen, man, what's pretty interesting is Jack and I have been besties since fifth grade. But my guest today actually knew Bix before he was GDP Bix. And he was just, in high school, was it Biggs? Is Biggs? He was like, the Biggs? Oh, yeah. the Biggs? The oh, Biggs. Oh, bow down. Oh, the big men on campus. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. relax, relax. But we have a return guest up today. And it's the young movie Boston expert, Isaac Feldberg, man. Thank you for coming. You're welcome, Connor. Thanks for having me. And so, again, Jack, Isaac, and I all went to high school together. LS. Warriors rep. I know. I need to change the name. What a good time, man. (laughs) You guys miss it at all? LS? Yeah, not me neither. (laughs) I don't miss it. (laughs) I think we moved on a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, Nonetheless, so Isaac is actually before we move on can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do sure i am a freelance journalist in the boston area i currently write for the boston globe fortune magazine and anyone else will have me i love that and isaac's a hustler and it's currently movie season and so i thought what was interesting what would be interesting to start the episode off with is Jack and I have no idea who the Academy is and what they do and how they vote. Can you debunk that for us real quick? And before you do that, I just want to say thanks again for coming. Thanks so much, Connor. For sure. Yeah, no, let's dive in. Let's talk Oscars. Uh, The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is, uh, you know, it's kind of the biggest voting body in Hollywood and uh, comprises you know, thousands of people in entertainment and we're talking like actors, producers, directors, uh, people who work in the costumes and a lot of below the line areas as well. And this voting body essentially is just narrowing down from short lists every year, the, uh, the best movies of the year and looking at best picture, best actor, best actress, all of these different categories. Um, it's voting processes are a little bit archaic. They've got like 
so many members who are like old Hollywood. How big is the body? God, it's, I'd actually need to get a number to fact check for you, but, um, probably at least 5,000. Jeez. How do they get anything done? Well, I mean, they've got, they've got leadership. They've got, um, a board of directors and they've got different people in the Academy who just, uh, kind of help organize voting and the studios have a vested interest in making things easier on those members too. So you'll always see studios launching very extensive awards campaigns, sending out screeners and DVDs of movies to anyone who's kind of in the Academy who they want to see the movies and vote on them. And how is one nominated to, to the Academy? Is there a voting process to get in? There are people who are invited every year and it's usually people who've made contributions to film in some way. So, could it be like some random like actor in a B-list movie? Sure. Yeah, it could be. It, it, uh, I'm trying to think of some recent high-profile people who've been invited to join the Academy. Um, Barry Jenkins, director of Moonlight, which won. When is his next film? Do you know? Uh, he's currently working on a series called The Underground Railroad for Amazon. He he actually released a follow-up movie to Moonlight, um, which won Best Picture, I believe, in 2016. Um and he released a movie in 2018 called If Beale Street Could Talk. I haven't seen it. Did you like it? I liked it. I liked it. It got kind of a small release. It was from this company called Annapurna, which specializes in kind of a little bit more um, adult skewing drama titles. And it was it was a very beautiful, romantic film. Uh, but it, it really didn't get the widespread visibility that Moonlight got. Well, Moonlight was a hit. Moonlight was a hit. Unbelievable. Moonlight, Moonlight won Best Picture. As, yeah, I mean, the, said, the color palette in the movie, that scene, there's just so many scenes where you're like, oh my God, that's like the most authentic thing of all time. You know, like the scene where he's like baptizing him in the water. Mm. And then there's the scene where like the two dudes make out on the beach. Everyone's like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a kind of a radical film at the time that it came out. You didn't have that many uh, films about black love, about black queer love. Uh existing in a way that that was seen by that many people and done with that much visual poetry it was it was just such a beautiful movie i think it really captivated people when it came out and i think what was great was the character what was his name the main character again do you remember Chiron. oh yeah Sh- and they, they ended up calling him shy and um what was great was how he like suppressed his homosexuality as as you saw the film progress because he got the shit beat out of him have you seen the check i have not I don't want to give too much away, but like he gets the shit beat out of him in high school okay. and he's a gay dude. And then later there's a time lapse and he's just his like deezed up drug dealer, like totally alpha male, but he's, it's all front. Yeah. Well, I mean, that movie really did illustrate how, uh, how much you can repress sides of yourself when society is asking you to be something different. I think that that movie really powerfully spoke to that, especially for, Um, for black men there's a very kind of narrow social role that you're allowed to fill and there's a lot of different um, internalized homophobia a lot of just homophobia across the community that uh, you know he was very conditioned throughout that movie to be to be hard to be tough um, and to not express that side of himself Uh, so you get you get a very beautiful movie out of that in terms of how sensitively the movie is treating this character who won't treat himself with any kind of sensitivity or grace. 
Well, so sorry, quick segue back to you discussing the Academy. So, right. so there is a, a brief nomination process to become part of the Academy. You can, yeah, you, you're essentially invited as someone who has a certain level of visibility in Hollywood has done something specific in the past year or so, say like someone made their debut film. And, so so and you need a waves. resume. Sure. Yeah. You need, yeah. You need to be in some way part of Hollywood. Could a, a writer like yourself be asked to become part of the committee? Um, no, it, it would be more contributions to making films than writing about them in journalism. There, there are other awards bodies, like uh, the Critics' Choice Awards happens every year, and that is something that was actually formed for film journalists to vote on awards. And you, you kind of have this range of different kinds of awards with different members and different lines of work. Like um, the Golden Globes, for example, uh, are voted on by the Hollywood Foreign Press, which is mostly foreign reporters and correspondents who are writing about the entertainment industry. It's a much smaller uh, I actually realm. didn't know that. I mean, that makes sense why there's a lot more bigger budget movies with more like fanatical aspects to them in the Golden Globes as opposed to the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, they've got like a different category system as well where you have best dramas and best comedies and you're voting for best picture, best actor and best actress in those different categories are two winners for each so you get some more diversity there but it's also um it can be very skewed depending on like which movies are doing well throughout the season and who goes to what parties because the hollywood foreign press that body is maybe a hundred people it's very very small so let's say best picture nomination for the academy it comes on the ballot they're all sitting 5,000 people in this huge table, right? I mean, I don't know how to vote, but... I, I'm pretty sure it's through an electronic I'm sure. voting I know. process. Or, or Scantron. It would be great if we got them all in one place. That would be very revealing. I'm sure you'd see a lot of incredibly old, incredibly white people just kind of, you know, exactly. up to the stage with to the walker. their ballot. Yes, exactly. But what are they asking the academy are they saying what's your favorite film of the year or this is what you have to vote on you have to vote on that it's best picture because it's the best cinematography and the best acting and the best screenplay and the best color palette uh you, well i'm not actually too familiar with the exact questions on those initial ballots but what they end up voting for is on their top picks for those main categories like best picture best director how's that Better? Yeah, just just so uh, a note on you, Connor, you're, you're getting close to being uh, too high on the on the sound waves. That's fine. Don't worry about the sound. But yeah, you're good now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in, in terms of that, that's what they end up voting on is those main categories that you see announced on television. The best picture, best actor, best actress, best director. Um, yeah, it kind of goes from there. And that's where we're at now in the process. The nominations for those major categories have come out. Uh, Academy members are submitting their ballots, their final ballots for those categories, and the awards will be read aloud on Sunday night, this Sunday. So the winner's already chosen, correct? Yes. You know for I a fact. So. Well, I believe so. I'm not sure at what stage they kind of read the ballots but i'm pretty sure everything's been submitted at this point has there ever been a leak a leak in terms of the, the winners no i don't think so they they hire firms to kind of handle the the ballots and they they don't just do it that'd be wild though huh 
It would. We know be. who won Best Picture today. I mean, there've definitely been screw ups in the past. I mean, even when Moonlight won Best Picture, they had put the wrong. Um, oh yeah. They'd put the wrong thing in the envelope. They put in Emma Stone's win for Best Actress in La La Land, and gave that to the actress who was reading the Best Picture. And she just got very confused because she opened the, her card and saw Emma Stone, La La Land. And so she was like, I guess, I guess best picture is La La Land? Yeah. Question would, mark. Yeah. And, it, and it wasn't. So. Yeah, that was a mess up. That was a Do big Do you remember that, Jack? Yeah. And La La Land definitely didn't deserve best picture. You don't, I love that movie. I mean, it was, it was like entertaining, but I definitely wouldn't say it was. Well, I don't think most dudes are, are that wasn't their demographic they were going for. Yeah, but I'm just talking on like a straight like film tip, like aesthetic, like because like I mean I I I like the sets. You think they were comprehensive? I thought the movie was good. Like I didn't dislike it or anything. I'm just saying, I don't think it deserved. It wasn't like wow, oh my god. Well, dude, Ryan Gosling's that guy though. That's a fact. (laughs) Is that who's your favorite actor right now? Favorite actor right now? God, that's a tough question. I like Ryan Gosling a lot. He's he's good. I mean, he always goes for it. he maybe was miscast in La La Land, but he still danced his ass off and oh, so yeah. did Emma Stone. Blade um, Runner, dude. Don't even Blade get Runner. me started. What did, you, what did you think of the Blade Runner? The 2049? 2049. <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite movies in the past oh, 10 years. awesome. I feel like that movie didn't get much of the visibility when it came out. I think it, it opened softer than its studio was expecting. Um, but it was a beautiful movie. Tough movie to market. Really tough movie to market. I think, you know, that kind of speaks to this big trend of studios doing these sequels or remakes of mm-hmm. reboots. That, yeah, like stuff that they grew up with, specifically those producers grew up with. They're like, oh my God, who would not want, for example, a sequel to Top Gun, which is coming out this summer. It's going to be great. I, I hope so. I really hope so. I believe in Tom Cruise when he's doing something like that that he really believes in. Is he uh, executive directoring it? Like, Because I, I know he does that for a lot of his Mission Impossible movies. He's definitely executive producing it. Um, the director, I think, is Joseph Kaczynski, who okay. directed him in Oblivion. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the best Tom Cruise performance of all time is Magnolia. Have you seen Magnolia? I haven't seen Magnolia. Oh, Isaac. I know. You have know. to see it. Dude, his character is unbelievable. He's a he's like a a pickup artist that he sells like programs to like other men who want to pick up more chicks. Mm-hmm. But this journalist peels back the layers of him in, in like a really highly contentious interview, and he kills it, dude. I think Tom Cruise is the goat, like for real. He's a great actor. He's a really impressive actor i mean when you see him in the mission impossible movies there's no one else who's taking risks like that he'll he'll slay himself off the side of a building he does regularly and he's you know he's filming the next two back to back i'll be shocked if he survives it i mean based (laughs) on the stories that came out of this most recent one he was just like uh, and it's so funny when you look at the finished product of that movie you've seen the most recent one was that the ghost uh it wasn't ghost protocol i think it was called fallout i haven't seen it yet no um, it was great. It's a great, great movie, and he does some incredibly insane stunts in it, jumping out of planes, uh, like kind of scaling this um, cargo that's hanging off of the bottom of the helicopter. Um, and the thing that he injured himself doing was just hopping from one building ledge to another. He managed to miss the thing, and uh, I think he either sprained or broke his ankle doing uh. that. And it's like a tiny moment in this movie. But you can it's see just it? like part of a, well, 
I think that the take they ended up using is the one where his ankle was broken, but he went through it anyway. So that pain is very real that you can see on his face. So the acting seems real. He's he's a madman like that. He's just like, no, keep, keep the cameras rolling. But I just love that that was the tiny moment in this massive movie of stunts that he, that, hurt, himself. That he hurt himself doing. And you can't even tell on the finished version. It doesn't look like anything. That's the goat, bro. So the Academy, all, all the awards are in. All the winners are in. So the Academy now, they're just waiting. Is that what happens? And then when does the next year boot up for pictures? Is it everything? Like, what's the voting year? Well, I mean, the Oscars haven't happened yet. So the ceremony is this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the it's like it's within the calendar year of movies that are eligible for an award. So technically things that are coming out now are eligible for next year's Oscars. But um, So all know. of 2019 is eligible, correct? All of 2020 is, el- is eligible for next, year. for next year. But this year was all of 2019. Yes. So, for example, uh, one movie that didn't crack through at the Oscars, I believe it was nominated at the Golden Globes, though, is uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is this period romance movie um from france it, it wasn't nominated because france chose to put forward another movie and the best foreign language category you only get one film per country that's how they limit it each country can put forward one contender and then the members of the academy vote from that um but that movie in order to qualify played an opening kind of a week run in new york and los angeles uh i believe on december 13th it's when it's st- when it started its run and it would play for a week, and then it was gone. And now it's going to open wide on Valentine's Day weekend. But because it was competing for Oscars this year, it had to be in theaters for at least a week of exhibition in theaters. Why did they do that? Why didn't they just hold on to it? Because the movie had already uh, kind of been a favorite on the on the festival circuit. It played in Toronto. It played at the New York Film Festival, which is where I first saw it. And people were talking about it, and people strike were, while we're hot type thing. Exactly, um, it, yeah. It, it wouldn't have kind of sustained the momentum if they were just like, we're going to hold this now for next year um, to run during next year's Academy Awards. Especially because you know France picked a different movie when it when it had this one. So who's to say that France wouldn't have also not picked it next year? So on the ballot this year, what's enticing to you? I had them all on my phone, but I believe my phone just died. Oh, no. Which is a bummer because I like wrote it all out and I had it all prepared. Yeah, no, we had the we had that whole game set up. You know, you I'm ready to go me, though. I'll tell you picks. this much. Last time you were here, you said, "Dude, Connor, you have to go see Parasite," and I was like, "Yo, Isaac, dude, that sounds like a horror flick. I'm not trying to watch that." And then I saw it three days ago, and that movie is unbelievable you're dude. a fan bro jack you have to watch it he hasn't stopped talking about it dude i can't get over that movie yeah what, what did you like about it tell me about it because that one the use up. of wide shots in that film was mm-hmm. unbelievable it looked like it was like a two millimeter inside that house two the color palette was insane the lighting in the cauldron was unbelievable and the connection of plot points with the rock the Morse code, dude. And the way how everything ended, I was like, whoa. 
I would way rather be rich than be broke. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Parasite really is one of the biggest success stories at the movies this past year. It's this, um, this farm film that has made an obscene amount of money in U.S. theaters. I believe it's crossed $40 million at this point, which is insane. For, for a foreign film. For a small farm film. Um, and, you know, that director, uh, Bong Joon-ho, has been making movies for, for some time, and he's noted as essentially this, this genre in of himself. I mean, his past movies are like... Um, Snowpiercer. Like Snowpiercer of Chris Evans. Um, the host, which is like one of the best monster movies that's come out um, in the past twenty years, I would say, um, really incredible movie. But this was just such a breakthrough for him. I mean, he's been all over the award circuit, so has his cast, um, and it just it really struck a chord. I mean, you were saying about you'd rather be rich than poor. I feel like that movie really capitalized on this kind of interesting class struggle at the movies this past year. I mean, we saw um, Ready or Not, which is this horror thriller that came out over the summer that was kind of this um, this bride running from her groom's very wealthy aristocratic family. I haven't seen it just be, yet. It turned out to be murderous and tried to kill her. You have Parasite, which, um, for those who don't know, concerns this uh, lower-class South Korean family that infiltrates the household of a more wealthy family while posing as their servants. For our listeners, when Isaac says infiltrates, he means finesse. Right. And in a lot of I, other critics. Excuse me for not translating. It's, it's all good, but they finesse their way in through smarts. They're very devious, but they work their way in. And the network of human relationships in that movie reminds me oddly of Babel. Hmm. How everyone is connected in some way. Have you seen Babel? I have seen Babel. It reminds me, and it kind of reminds me of the Royal Tenenbaums a little bit. The way how everybody is connected and every single piece of the screenplay matters. Mm-hmm. Like it was wild how it all wrapped up. It's an incredibly um, closely interlocking movie. I mean, I love the humor of it. I love the twists of it. It really it fits together as this really interesting puzzle. And refreshing. It was so new. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it because, I mean, I mean it really has... Um, resonated with a lot of people and I'm just so glad that you were able to go see it in the theater and get caught up in it. Do your friends like I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on, on demand. But you saw it on, on demand. Oh, yeah. cool. Did, did your friends like it? Already. Did my friends like it? Just generally? Like your film friends. Are they into it? I well, I, I would have say film friends? <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting descriptor. I mean, there are a lot of people who also write about film who I'm connected with on, on Twitter. <laughs> but they're not your friends. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it's a different kind of friend. I would say in my personal life, outside of my professional life, I, everyone who I've shown that film to, everyone I know who's seen that movie has come away just completely and taken with it and enthralled by it. Um, I, I just really think it's exceptional filmmaking. I think it's incredibly well acted. Shot beautifully. Shot beautifully, beautifully, like you were saying. Um, they have this yeah. jib shot. This incre- They use it like two or three times. This incredible craning drip, jib shot, especially when he's running away after all that shit goes down. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, that was so well executed. Yeah, it, it is just such a slick movie. And, you know, speaking of the Oscars as we are, that movie has been one of the, the big players to emerge as something that could go home with awards on Sunday night. Um, it, you know, could be, um, the first, like the first South Korean film to win best picture, which would be 
wild. Ground, it would be groundbreaking. And it, would, it will definitely yeah. win foreign feature, right? Yes, without a doubt. I don't usually feel comfortable making very definite predictions, but it must. I would be absolutely shocked if it didn't. For a movie to show up in both that category and in the best picture in the main categories, um, you know, it, it just very rarely happens that a movie is that well represented and doesn't clean up in best foreign language film. What is competing with it? In the main in foreign language, yeah. Foreign language. Uh, there's a French film called uh, Les Miserables um, that is... Unrelated to that last Les Mis. Uh, unrelated to the last Les Mis, it is about kind of race relations and police violence in this French neighborhood where Victor Hugo originally wrote Les Mis. That's the link to the title. Um, and it kind of subverts that material in some interesting ways. That's one of the, the more prominent films it's up against. Can you just move in just a little bit on the mic? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. That's like totally no, no. Weird. Is that okay? Right yeah, that's there? great. Okay. Do, cool. Is that like hurting your back? No, no. It's good. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm, you know, enunciating. Yeah. Just like, this is your B-I-T-C-H, man. Just... <laughs> Can I try <laughs> how you have it? I like it how you have it. Yeah, give it a try. Go ahead. You can mess with it. How's that? How do you feel? Wow. I feel good. Amazing. I feel like that's a better posture because then the mic isn't just. Then you're not like Quasimodo. Yeah, you know, I can actually, you know, Speaking just of late talk means. to you. Whoa! <laughs> Gotta love French literature. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think Parasite's taking that dub. It must. But in terms of best picture, mm. one thing we had talked about is the award ceremony this year has moved up. Correct. Yeah, it's been a shortened award season. And so, sure. how has that affected the voting process? Um, I think that it means that I think it makes Parasite's representation in this category, in all of these categories, more, even more remarkable because usually something like that would be a movie that would require an incredibly successful awards campaign that has um, as much time as possible to get that movie out in front of voters. But people seemed like they were taken with it very early on and have kind of sustained that momentum. I think, you know, if anything, it just means that. Um, you have less chance to see these these breakouts uh, from the other award ceremonies, things that you're not expecting to to blow up that suddenly do and become front runners for the major awards like the Oscars. Oh, elaborate! Like, so if a golden if a, a movie takes a Golden Globe, sometimes it will affect its the voting right. process for the Academy. Apart from the fact that this year, because the schedule was shortened, okay, the Academy of members were already voting by the time the Golden Globes took place. What was the purpose of changing the event date? I'm actually not sure uh, why they kind of brought it up. Maybe it was about trying to boost the ratings of the ceremony, which has been pretty dismal um, in past years. They thinking that if they make the award season shorter, people's attention span and interest in it won't be diminished by the time you finally get to the Oscars. That would but, be my main guess, actually. Are there any movies right now for best picture that you're like, yo, that should not be on the list. That movie is not as good as people think it is. Uh, yeah. No, I would say there are. Um, I mean, that's nothing new. The Oscars are always uh, a little specific in their tastes, and there are certain movies that resonate there that, personally, I don't enjoy that much. I mean, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, because I'm sure we'd have different opinions on that. Do you, do you before I go, have any similar kind of thoughts on a movie that you feel like maybe do you have the list material do you I have can actually yeah if you could pull it up it because i think that that would be good for this that would be beneficial for sure jack well one thing i will tell you is i saw the green book late i saw the green book recently and that was a great movie yeah green have you seen it i have seen i'm green sure book. yeah 
What have I, you not seen, Isaac? Oh, I, I mean, evidently Magnolia. Uh, you, oh, dude, you immediately Magnolia. pinpointed something I actually haven't seen, which now I need to make a point to see. I mean, you've seen Boogie Nights, right? Yes. Ima- Nights. Imagine like Boogie Nights' stepsister. That's what I would call okay. Magnolia. Put that in your write-up. That's actually great. <laughs> I like that descriptor. Um, it's definitely convinced me to watch it. But yeah, so in terms of best picture, do you want me to just go down? Read Let's go down the got? list. I know The Irishman's on there. The Irishman is on there. Uh, you've got Jojo Rabbit, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite, which we've been talking about. Okay, I'll tell you this much, because I'm not one to come up here and be critical of anyone's hard work. I can't do it. But I will tell you this. The Joker, the acting was dope. Mm-hmm. The the degradation, that's the right word, of Joaquin Phoenix's character was like, oh my God. He like really made the movie. Yeah, no, he he was the movie. I mean, imagine that movie without Joaquin Phoenix. What would there be to watch? I mean, he he truly, that that is a great performance. I mean, and if we're talking about predictions, I think Joaquin Phoenix winning best actor for that performance is as sure a thing as there is in the main categories of the Oscars this year. Um, people have really responded to that portrayal. They've really responded to how physical it was, how um, how he just completely changed his physicality for it and really got You know, that shot into... where he's hunched over oh, yeah. in the locker room. Yeah, it's, it's ghoulish. I mean, he really embodies this person who is collapsing physically and mentally and truly losing his mind. And it's an incredibly harrowing performance, uh, which is why I think the people who've been really taken with Joker have been really, really taken with Joker because they just see that. And it is like the most committal, physical, theatrical acting of anyone this year, certainly in that category. I know. And how he took on the Joker's mannerisms too. And it's such a, it would be such a tough character to follow up, follow up from the Heath Ledger dude. Like, yeah, yeah, but he did it. He put his own spin on it. He t- he certainly did. I mean, the movie is very idiosyncratic as well. I mean, it's this. If you think about Joker as a movie, it's so different from everything else that DC had been doing. Um, I mean, if you the other movies in their recent it had period, elements like, of Suicide Squad in it a little bit. Well, if, if you look at Suicide Squad, do you mean like visually, or do you mean in terms? I mean of visually. What? I mean co- the concept, no. But in terms of the way it was shot, it seemed very similar. A they, lot of the lighting was very similar. They definitely both have this kind of gritty, dirty palette. To A lot them. of neon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that DC has really tried to differentiate di- differentiate itself from Marvel, which is now owned by Disney and making more family-friendly stuff. They see their DC movies as a chance to be a little bit edgier, do things that Disney and Marvel wouldn't do. And Joker certainly fits that category. It's in some ways, I think, um, a response to Deadpool being so successful for Fox. I mean, you've got an R-rated superhero movie there, and you're pushing boundaries in a different way. This Joker kind of took the superhero cinema concept, and at least aesthetically, the idea is to create this art film out of it, create something that mimics pretty closely stuff that Martin Scorsese was doing when he was first becoming established as one of the great directors of his time. In terms of what? In terms of the, I mean, the focus of the film, this guy deteriorating in this very New York-esque metropolis of moral decay, like that's Taxi Driver um, to a T. 
and the whole character uh, and his relationship to broadcast TV, the character of Robert De Niro. There's a lot of King of Comedy referencing going on in there as well. The director, Todd Phillips, has been open about that. At one point, he had Martin Scorsese literally executive producing the film, um, and Martin Scorsese dropped off eventually from doing that. Um, I think maybe because he saw that Todd Phillips was just, you know, making a movie that was in line with some of his old movies. He didn't really need the help. Jack, have you seen it yet? I have not. Dude, have you seen anything? What have you been watching? <laughs> I've seen For, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. What do you think of Ford? Um, it was all right. I don't think it will win an Oscar, but, um, you know, Christian Bale is always a great actor. Um, always does his thing. It was entertaining, but I definitely don't think it will. I, I have not seen it. Did you like the chemistry between Matt Damon and Christian Bale? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were good. They were good together, I thought. Yeah, I'd agree with Jack on that. I think that that is a very handsomely made uh, period racing pick. I mean, it's like uh, it has everything. It's like the story of um, Americans kind of striving against the odds to uh, to pull off this feat of engineering and feat of um, of sportsmanship. And it, it's great. It's an ins- it's an inspiring true story, and it's perfectly well made. Um, I understand why some people were surprised that it showed up at the Oscars, just given that it really did fit so specifically inside that window in a year where you've got more attention getting things like Joker or 1917 or Parasite or even Little Women uh, that everyone's talking about. I feel like Ford v. Ferrari went a little bit undiscussed throughout most of the lead-up to the nominations coming out. So you think Ford vs. Ferrari is consistent with the taste of the academy over the past 10 15 years for sure and what is that taste um i i think you know i i laid that out pretty broadly in terms of the plot of ford v ferrari being about that that struggle to overcome and to achieve i think the academy really does respond to these you know inspiring movie movies about um humans overcoming obstacles i mean look at like um apollo 13 uh, is another great example of that um, I'm trying to think of like classic awards bait. Well, isn't that very American though? Anyway, yeah. I mean, everyone loves a hero story. But everyone loves a success story in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I I would agree with you. That's I mean, that's the Academy. It it is an American institution. Do you think it's doing a disservice to other filmmaking institutions? I think that you know it, it picks what it's going to pick. I, I don't think that they need to be accountable to more than the tastes of their members and perhaps working to diversify their membership as much as they can to reflect Hollywood becoming a more diverse place. Here's a question. With the booming of streaming and independent filmmaking and content and being able to pretty much produce on your own now, right? You got to think of all Jack and I do is just produce, right? And we've been able to kind of start doing stuff, pretty cool stuff in the city. Mm Mm-hmm. Will Hollywood as an institution still be as important in 25 years? Interesting. You, you mean as a place, as an industry? As or an industry. Mean, I, I think, the, you know, as the epicenter of the film industry now, Hollywood yeah. is, um, you know, it, it has the legacy and it has the history. Um, I think you can look at expanding film markets in other places, other countries. I think you can look at, um, you know, uh, Bollywood, for example, in India, and how much that's boomed. You can look at the Chinese film market um, and how much bigger that is getting. Um, Russia, as well, has a film scene that's expanding. If you look kind of across the African continent, there are a lot of different 
uh, really? countries in there as well. Where? Um, you can think about uh, Nairobi has a pretty robust um, film center as well that they Whoa. kind of refer to as Nollywood. Whoa. Um, which is, you know, different. I mean, they, there's just like a lot of different avenues that film can come from now. I to, to your point, I think that the equipment is there. I don't think that the studio system is as paramount as it used to be in terms of there being specific executives who had the money and they were the only ones who had the money to greenlight something and give you the equipment to make something. I think even, I mean, I've got, you know, a phone here that could shoot, shoot a movie, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, also, really consumer could. tastes have changed, though, which is so vital. That's, yeah, are you, I mean, talking about streaming like you were at the beginning of your question, um, I think that that's definitely going to have a massive impact on Hollywood in terms of the kinds of things that people are making uh, and kinds in terms of the kinds of stories that are being told. Uh, you've got all of these interesting platforms that are trying to respond to streaming. I mean, obviously, you have... A lot of the major studios launching their own streaming platforms, like Warner Media is launching yeah, we were HBO talking about this Max. Last time too, we yeah. were as well, and uh, and then there there are smaller things as well, like um, uh, this short form video content platform called Quibi that yeah, you're is launching soon. Is the ten minute thing less? Less. Whoa. I think it's like two minute episodes. Two minute high production value episodes, right? That you like, you hold your phone this way and you watch it on the go. Uh, and Pretty it's wild. it's so interesting. There's so much money being poured into it right now. Um, it's like we're living in a simulation, man. Well, I you know who knows whether <laughs> it's going to be successful. It, it it is a risk. If it's convenient, it will be successful. That's your bet. Absolutely. Is it convenient? I mean, you tell me. Do you think it's convenient to watch something on your phone in two minute intervals as you're on the go? Absolutely. Yeah? And definitely. Cool. All right. So then maybe you're if a Quibi it, user. Humans just are, I think, are some just innately lazy. And so if it makes their life easier, they'll do it. And so if people can be entertained with like high production value content in a two-minute window every day and they don't mm -hmm. have to sit down and watch like four hours of The Irishman, they're going to take the two-minute, Doug. I, I mean, don't know if it's changed you, for you, you guys. You also watched three hours of The Irishman, though, didn't you? Well, yeah, and like four naps in between, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like even Parasite took me three nights to watch. Really? Yeah. Do you feel like that? Um, do you feel like that weakens your appreciation for the movies at all? If you cut, if you have to cut them up and watch them in pieces, or do you feel like you're kind of just making them into mini series for yourself? Well, so this is a question for you. Are you? Has your retention decreased at all in terms of watching films since when you started writing because content is so much more accessible on your phone do you think your brain's slightly rewired that's a, an interesting question for me specifically i don't think so just because i've tried as best i can to continue watching as steady a stream of films and just educating myself from films that have come out um, throughout the decades before all of those streaming platforms and different kind of forms of content but I think, you know, speaking as a culture, I think we're moving in a direction where our attention spans have never been more fragmented and disrupted. Yeah. Jack, uh, what do you think? Well, I watched The Irishman in one fell swoop, but... Were you off the booth pack? Fuck yeah, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I was, it was on uh, Thanksgiving with my whole family. Nice. But, um, no, I would say... That and you ate lunch and dinner <laughs> when you're watching it? 
<laughs> no, I had dinner afterwards. Oh, word. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that generally that people's attention span has, you know, decreased. And I know for a fact that, like, say for, like, those shoot short YouTube videos, like, mm. I would much prefer it to be, like, the vertical high quality instead of, like, these horizontal when I'm just trying to watch, like, just a quick little video. Yeah. It would be nice to have, you know, just, like, vertical because that's how you usually use your phone. Yeah, I agree. And quick question, though. I wonder if, I mean, you're a film connoisseur, so you enjoy it. I'm wondering if, like, the market as a whole, don't you think people have moments now where they're watching these full-length films and they're like, damn, I'm kind of bored? Yeah, maybe. Like, was there any point in The Irishman where you were bored as hell? For me, no, but that's because I was watching it in a very specific setting. I can completely see why a movie like The Irishman is not something that everyone would want to sit through and everyone would want to give themselves over the three hours. I think, you know, for filmmakers, asking for half an hour of someone's attention for a TV show, you have to show why you're asking for that and you have to prove that you're worth their time. When you have something that's three hours or more, it's almost impossible to answer that quickly because you're telling a story that's incredibly leisurely by, by design, by intention, um, you just have to hope that there are enough people out there who trust that that journey is worth the time it's going to take. But I don't think that you can necessarily please everyone with the kind of movie that you make. And mm-hmm. that movie was absolutely not something that was meant to please everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's actually refreshing seeing feature-length film now because I'm on my phone so much to actually see a take in a film that's longer than like eight seconds. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like a totally different experience than like short form content you watch on your phone all the time. You were, you were mentioning parasite and I could tell that you were specifically taken with a lot of the directing choices in it. A lot of the longer shots and the, the pans and the, the tracking the shots and yeah. their detail to set. It's just like, damn, this is like actually nice. It's well executed. It was great. I mean, we follow some messed up people on the internet, man. Think about it. Okay. <laughs> That's all it has. <laughs> okay. That's my rant, man. So let's just get back to you in the best picture. Okay. Who's going to win? Uh, my hope is Parasite. My hope is Parasite. I think that it really has been this little engine that could throughout the entire award season. I think the fact that it had such a strong showing with the the Oscar nominations, including as well for um, Best Director for Bong Joon-ho, um, he's up in that category as well. I think that that suggests that there is a strong contingent of people in the Academy who really like Parasite and would vote for it. Um, I think that there are some other spoilers, uh, some movies that could easily take it, depending on how strong and widespread their support is i think 1917 which is one that we haven't really talked about yet have you seen 1917 yet i'm gonna be honest i haven't okay how about you jack i've not but i I've feel been. like i let you down no I'm sorry. no i have been watching a lot of the background on how it was filmed because i found it very interesting but no i have not seen that this is the war piece correct it's the war piece it's directed by sam mendes and you know that you asked earlier if there was anything that i thought was up in the best picture category that maybe shouldn't be there I think that 1917 is a technical gimmick and it's a very impressive one. You know, it's this, the whole, the whole thing of it. It's, it's like, it's a one take war movie. Oh, someone was telling me about this. Yeah. And it, 
follows this character on this race against time to deliver information about an impending enemy ambush to another company that's about to embark on this military maneuver that's going to get them all killed. So he has So the messenger saying, stop. That. Yes. You guys are going to get killed. Yes. And he has to relay that. I mean, this is World War One, um, And he is just kind of tasked with delivering this message and running across this no man's land. Um, what do you think was better executed for a one take that or Birdman? Um, I think, you know, they have similar issues in that, you know, the take itself is the point of the movie. Um, I, I had trouble with both of those movies. I think maybe more trouble with 1917 because it's a war movie that is, it has this one take tracking shot on its character and it's following them the entire time through the movie. But by nature of that, that character can't die because the shot needs to keep going. So there's no real tension in whether or not they're going to be okay and get to where they're going because then the movie just ends if they don't. Like, yeah, you can't really break from it. But there are a lot of people who really like 1917 because of how in uh, of how kind of enthralled they are by that take, how they feel like it brings them up close to the war and to the violence of it, to the grittiness of it to the flying bullets and um, plumes of dirt from bombs dropping. There's a little save it private Ryan-esque. Sure, totally. Um, that movie has been doing surprisingly well, I would say, uh, in terms of the award ceremony so far. I believe it won the Golden Globe for Best Drama. Um, and you with, were pissed? I wasn't pissed. <laughs> I mean, I know better than to get emotionally invested in the outcomes of these award seasons. Um, do I think that it was the most deserving movie there? No, I don't. What if you just start bawling your eyes out at the end of the Academy Awards? Like, this is bullshit. There's much bigger <laughs> things to cry over. I'm sure. Much bigger things these days. But, um, you know, 1917 is this movie that uh, really is the sum of its parts. And I felt like somehow less than that based on how all of those parts are so clearly just designed to um, to create this experience. Um, to me, it, it never really pulled me in because I could see so clearly the entire time, oh, you're doing a one-take shot. Oh, I see. You're going to move the camera over this person. Predictable. Like, yeah. Well, it's like clean. It was like this clean war movie, which to me feels like a strange way to approach something about how gritty combat is to have this like almost like angel-like presence of the camera following someone around for the entire time. But that's a personal that's a personal opinion. A lot of people have really liked the movie, and it does have quite a lot of support. So I wouldn't be surprised if it won, uh, nor would I be surprised if Joker won. Can I ask you a question about your where you're at as a writer in your career? Can I ask you a question? Sure. What's your question? My question is. What what are your goals year to year to progress in your career? How do how do how does that work for a writer? Like, okay, I'm gonna be this I'm gonna be this much of a better writer next year. Or I have to accomplish this to progress in my career. How does that work? Well, I think that you just need to keep writing to keep honing your voice as a writer. You, I think you need to uh, kind of try to write different sorts of pieces, write things from a different perspective. I think you need to constantly be trying to educate yourself. If you're covering entertainment, I think you need to be studying entertainment at the same time. Uh, and I, I truly think that, you know, the news cycle moves in such a way where there's always a new story 
and you're just thinking about the most insightful way you could cover it, bring something to it, spread information, but also provide some sort of commentary that is meaningful to people. Um, I think, you know, pop culture is how people make sense of the world. I mean, art is always reflecting what's happening mm -hmm. in the world. How do you assess your progress? Personally? Yeah. Um, I would assess my progress. Well, I mean, one metric is whether or not I'm actually writing enough and landing enough pitches to be able to continue to do it. Yeah, to be able to continue to do it, to be able to make money. It's a tough industry to make money in, a lot more than it used to be. Um, Are you ever like, fuck, I just don't want to do this anymore? Yeah, all the time. Um, I think that, you know, no one really goes into journalism because they think that they're going to like strike it rich or they're going to like have like an easy time. I think that people go into writing if they feel like they have something to say, right? Either have something to say or feel like they can amplify the voices of people who do, who would otherwise not be heard. I think that, you know, um, journalism has power, information has power. And if you can kind of work to help amplify different kinds of voices and perspectives, um, and, you know, this is just for journalism writ large. I'd say entertainment journalism is a very small sector of that. Um, then I feel like you can have some meaning to your work and to what you do. Are you in, are you in constant fear mode because you don't know when your project, your next project's coming? Does that happen to you? Um, I wouldn't describe it as fear mode. I would say that, you know, as a freelancer, that is a very constant thought process of, what am I working on right now? What pitches do I have lined up? What's coming down the pipeline that I might be in a good position to write about? Where should I write about it? Who would actually pay for writing? How do I grab um, their attention? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, it is a grind and it's a grind that a lot of people can't keep going. I don't think it's where that many people decide they want to stay. For me, in my position, just out of college, having earned a journalism degree, I'm just grateful for every opportunity to continue to write and then i'll see what happens next you ever feel burnt out sure do you absolutely i think it's hard not to right now I, with our generation i think that um there are a lot there are a lot of conditions just that our generation is facing in terms of constant stimulation from technology this like endless parade of incredibly depressing global news I think it's hard to not be burned out right now. Would you agree with that? Well, I, I mean more a, a work tip. Like, do you feel burnt out? Like, I got to keep the train going, man. I got to keep writing. Because if I don't, if I slow down, then everything else slows down. Does that, does that go through your head? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why it's important to try to find balance in your life. If you're writing all of the time um, and you're not leaving much for yourself, Number one, you're going to get burnt out and you're not going to be able to write as much. And number two, you're going to stop accruing life experience that could make you a stronger writer in a different way. Say you write all day about fucking Marvel movies or something like that. You just are spending all of your day churning out content on that. What are you ever going to experience in your life that would add to that, would add to your writing about that? I think that you need to live, you need to learn. And I think that through that, you can become a better writer. So ultimately, like what, what would your, if you and I could have a talk in like 15 years and we're both mega successful, like where would you like to be positioned? Um, 
I mean, that implies I would stay in journalism through that period of time. I really know what the future is going to bring. I have a lot of different interests, and I might put journalism down, pick something else up. Um, who knows? I could be working in producing in Hollywood. I could be working in a different form of journalism, uh, covering a completely different beat, uh, say politics or foreign policy. Um, I could be writing movies. I could be a screenwriter. Um, I don't know. Hopefully I'll still be here in, in 15 years. I hope I'm here still too. I hope what, Jack's here. <laughs> what about you? What, what are you, what are you guys in 15 years? I want to make a really big impact in Boston. It's yeah. Like, it's very important to me. It's always been like, even since high school when I was like 16, I was like, you know, I'm never going to go to LA. I'm never going to go to New York, but I'm definitely going to make my mark in Boston. Hmm. And it's, it's sometimes crazy because you assess your journey and it's, the way I visualized it was never what's actually what's going on now, but your most dominating thoughts actually end up coming into fruition. It's really mm. wild. So what would you say for you, dominating thought? Well, one for me right now is get as much done in a day as I can because I know it's going to add up to something bigger. And Jack and I actually talked about it on a previous podcast. I'll tell you afterwards, but there's a project that Jack and I want to get done in Boston that's like very deeply important to us. That's great. That's great. And, and I'll tell you after. Cool. Cool. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Might need you to write about it, man. Yeah. And, and Jack, what about for you? Would you add anything to that? Um, listen, man, I mean, like you're saying, like it's, it's easy to feel burned out. And honestly that my goal is not to feel that way and, you know, feel good all the time or not all the time. Cause that's barely, I'm basically impossible, but you know, be yeah. happy doing all the things that you love. You know, I like to do more and more, create more, do more art. But um, yeah, I'll tell you one tough thing, and I'll I'll be very transparent about it on the podcast. But Jack and I move at very different speeds, but we work very closely together. So mm -hmm. sometimes there's friction between us because I'm so on go, and Jack likes to experience things, and he, he likes to manifest things that are well thought out and I'm more like this. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a bind that me and him have been working on pretty consistently. But I feel like we're getting better, don't you, Jack? 100%, man. Yeah, I mean I think I think that comes with time. I think the different work strategies can be great together. I mean, Jack might notice something that you'd miss and in your haste and in your tempo, you kind of get things My done. mania. Your mania. <laughs> your words, not mine. But um yeah, and Jack might sometimes need your fast clip to kind of keep him moving. I think that that can work beautifully together. I mean, you guys clearly have a thing going here, which is great. Well, so question for you. How frequently are you thinking on a day-to-day -day basis like, yo, I just don't want to write anymore? Does that happen every day or? Um, no, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say I would be writing anymore if I had that thought every day. I think that that would probably be my conscious yeah. mind giving me a pretty clear signal to stop um i would say every every now and then i definitely think about the exhaustion of it and i think about not making as that. much money as you'd like does that happen a lot sure i mean i think that would happen whatever i was doing i would think any of my skills are particularly bankable lucrative i didn't study finance or engineering mm -hmm. in school i i really have been consistent about following writing and wanting and wanting to write um, and I think that from that, you need to make certain 
you need to make certain decisions. You need to have certain rationales. It's a calculus. I mean, it's always a calculus with deciding what you're going to do for a living. Um, and you need to you need to balance it for yourself. You need to figure out, am I doing something that's going to make me happy? Am I doing something that's going to allow me to support myself? Um, am I doing something that allows me to have a life outside of my work? Uh, I think that often that last one, especially of our generation, gets pretty sidelined. People think so much and define so much of themselves by what they do, and they don't have much left to give to other people outside of that. I find that kind of sad, because what are you working towards if you don't have a life? I, I agree with you, but I'm also on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to balance, mm. because I sometimes think like, yo, if I just maximize as much as I can as fast as I can, I'll get where I want to go as quick as possible. Do you ever think that way? Sure. I mean, that's that's definitely a freelancer mentality. I mean, when you're not working for someone who's giving you a steady salary, everything is self-generated. And so you need to run yourself like a motor if you're going to maximize your profit, your ambition, get where you want to be going faster and fast, fastest. Um, I think that, you know, like everything, I mean, I feel like I sound like some sort of shaman here, but you, you need, no, it's you interesting need to balance. me because you, I was you, thinking you need of, to balance. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I do. I should have more balance. You're right. I just so, just like to work. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you feel like you have a healthy balance for you. It looks different for everyone, depending on what your circumstances are, what you're doing, where you want to be in a year. Um, I think that it's totally fine. I've, I, I've certainly had years of constant grinding and then years where I've had to kind of step back and be like, hey, I need to, you know, do a Jack Bigelow and, you know, think about the bigger picture. I like that. Just kind of <laughs> do the bigs. Do the bigs. And, like, you know, take things a little bit slower and think a little bit more um, big picture. Because I think it's also really easy to get tunnel vision when you're grinding like you're talking about. Like you're working towards something so singularly that you're not even maybe aware of what the goalposts are at a certain point. Yeah, for sure. Do, on, on a financial tip though, do you ever think like, yo, if I become the best possible writer and I improve my product to the point where it's the best, then the bread will come? No. You don't think that? No, journalism, no. Um, Fuck, man. No, because, I mean, that's not the that's not the industry. I mean, journalism is so much about who you know. It's so much about... That's every industry, um, dude. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I think in any industry, this person who's the most gifted is not necessarily the person who advan advances the furthest, the fastest. Sometimes it happens, and that's great. And I wish all of those people the best. But um, I think that... You need to just kind of be honest with yourself about where you are and the path you're on and how fast you're moving along it um, and not kind of be so kind of uh, from what, what you're talking about is an incredibly um, self-fulfilling thing. You're like, if I am the best I could possibly be at this, then eventually it will work. Well, no, I just mean in the marketplace, like mm -hmm. if you were actually, if your writing was the best. If you're the best at anything, it's inevitable you're going to get paid the most. If you're providing the most value for people, people are going to pay you for that. You also need to know how to market yourself, which is another side of that, because you might have this incredible gift or this incredible offering for someone, 
But if you don't know how to put it forward and you don't know how to package yourself, how to um, economically present yourself, then you could have this great product and no one ever uses it. Yeah, see, that's one thing I've been very ignorant about because I've always, as you've known, I've always been very social and like very extroverted. Mm -hmm. And so it's always come easy to me. And so marketing things has come easy to me. But then I talk to people about the same thing. I'm like, yo, if you just try to elevate your level, they're like, but you don't get it. Like it's, I can make the product as good as possible, but it's hard for me to sell it. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Have have you ever run into that? Like, I know my writing's the best, but how do I get it in front of the right eyes? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I know that my writing is the best about anything at at 24. I think that I'm still honing that craft and will be for some time. Um, Hopefully for a long time. But uh, I've certainly run into it where I'm like, I know that I could write something meaningful about this, but I need to get someone to pay attention to me and take a chance on the fact that I'll actually be able to deliver that. Um, Because especially with writing, I mean, you need to do everything before you can kind of present it and reap the the benefits of it. So you need to really have this self-belief that what you are doing is worth pursuing and that people will be interested in it. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not right. Um, just like anything, just confidence in your ability. Yeah. And so, yeah, and you just need to keep pushing. I mean, with any of these things that we're talking about, um, with, with podcasting, with writing, with just striving in business, you need to have this ability not to get stuck on your failures because everyone's going to have failures and everyone's going to have things that disappoint them. Don't go quite the way they were expecting. Don't kind of resonate right off the Mm -hmm. bat uh but if you give up if you're not kind of committed to what you're doing how can you ask anyone else to be is kind of my sense of it bix what do you think about this deep successful talk isaac and i are having up here well um i just was kind of curious on a more positive tip like what gets you most excited is it like who you're writing about who you're writing for like what what gets you fired up what gets you fired up to get up in the morning and start writing (laughs) that's a fact i think you know if i'm writing about something that excites me uh some something in popular culture that i find super interesting a film that really spoke to me um music tv that uh i feel is important or doing something important i will happily write about that and spend a lot of time trying to make it perfect because i think that's what the art deserves and so that that excites me and i think that when that stops exciting me that's when i should definitely get out of journalism because i know a lot of people who have kind of lost the ability to have touch with that inner enthusiasm that personal enthusiasm for the thing that they're writing about professionally well i mean i feel like you'd always be able to do it as long as you can relate to things and be empathetic and whatnot it's a rare skill set it's hard it's difficult not for me but you know you look at the world i feel you yep I I feel like empathy is not something that necessarily um, is cultivated by the work cycle and just the world at large. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean? I I mean, we're getting into it. Make it it simple for a guy like me, man. (laughs) I know you're an intellect. You know, we're on the same level here. We're on the same tip. But we're talking about just how you kind of push yourself through the world, how you feel like you're doing things that matter 
I think that what Jack was talking about in terms of empathy is is important. You know, you need to have an ability to relate to other people, to connect to other people, oh, whatever you, your line of work. I thought you were saying like the capitalistic work week for some reason people become selfish through and they lose their sense of empathy. Is that what you're saying? I mean, you saw Parasite, right? Like that's, yeah. that's the, that's exactly Parasite. I mean, I think people are survivalists. People are survivalists and capitalism does require people to like, if they're going to advance in the system, I mean, capitalism is the structure where some people succeed. And Eat what do you not. want, dog. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not just going through my brain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, it, and this is getting into into theory, into economic theory, and that you know, I'm not sure if we want to go somewhere that abstract, but it's certainly you know, it is something that I think our generation is increasingly conscious of. Capitalism is a system that advantages some and disadvantages many others, and there is a lot of wealth inequality in capitalism as it currently stands in the United States. For sure, but it is probably one of the most productive economic systems possible, given history. I mean, I think that, you know, there's always room to kind of write your own history, try new structures and try to emphasize, empathize with other people and emphasize certain things. Um, I think that, you know, if you feel like there's inequality in the world, your task as a person and your task as a culture is to just think about how best to dismantle that inequality. Uh, we're getting a little bit far from the Oscars here. It's you know, okay, though. I'm talking you, about that. Question, though. Do you think that it's possible for everyone to be equal in the country? I think that, you know, if you look at the way that our economy is currently structured, it is almost criminally unequal. Uh, and there's just so much suffering and so much pain. And there are kind of clear areas where wealth is not being put into programs that could kind of help bridge some of those gaps. Education is one. Um, healthcare is another. And I think that even if the idea of a truly equal society is almost impossible for us to comprehend, having grown up in this incredibly unequal one, um, pushing towards that and trying to bridge some of those gaps is moving us in a direction where maybe the next generation will have ideas that wouldn't have even occurred to us that can move in the direction of that. I think it's all about progress. I think it's always been about progress. And growth, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm on the same page as you. I just sometimes think that given chemically what goes on with humans in terms of like humans want to do well for themselves. You're talking about the survivalism thing. Yeah, again. absolutely. Just There's a Darwinistic aspect to humans that's just like totally undeniable. That's why I think capitalism works. You know what I'm saying? It works for some. Exactly. That's my, I think that's why it has worked is because it's just as true to human nature as possible. Sure. I mean, not everyone's going to be a good person, man. Do you think economic systems should attempt to emulate human nature? How can you fight human nature, man? I think that you can try to put, you know, checks and balances into any system that regulates a country. I agree. No, I'm on the same page as you. And, and socially I'm, I'm on the same page. Like I believe everyone should try to get the same starting point. You know, like, I mean, we all kind of hit the lottery dog. That's a fact. We're white dudes from LS white town with a good school and lots of money. And we're surrounded by smart people. 
and here we are talking about this. I mean, this is something that even from our regular, our, you know, extremely privileged position that you've just outlined, it's still occurring to us. And it's still a thing that we're thinking about as, is there another way? Could the system be better? For people who have so much less privilege than us, they can't not think about that. It's just their everyday existence. Yeah. I mean, to us, all these different forms of inequality occur to us, you know, the, the gig economy, how hard it is to make money and kind of get ahead. Uh, for people of less privilege, I mean, they're looking from a different vantage point where everywhere they're seeing inequalities that mm -hmm. we can't see. And that's where you kind of get into what we're talking about with capitalism working for some but not others. The question is just whether you have empathy for others enough to try to change the system, even if it might not benefit you as much. Yeah, I totally get it. Well, my, my problem is, is that even if there are changes to be made um, and if changes are made, you know, there's only going to be another set of problems that you're going to have to face. Sure. And so, like, even just like we're talking, you said mentioned education. So, like, here in Massachusetts, each town pays for, or pays for their own school other than, like, the little bit of state money that they get. But you go to a state like Vermont, the rich towns, they all the all the towns, the money gets spread evenly across. So each school gets the same amount of money. And that causes problems just like causes problems down in Mass that it isn't spread out. What problems does it cause up there? Uh, schools shutting down because there isn't enough money. And then like here in Massachusetts, you get the really rich towns. You get the LS or then you, like you the get that Mission Hill High, baby boy. Exactly. So I it's like you. there's problems on both sides, even if you do try to, you know, change how things work. Who are you voting for, man? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. We have, uh, we have representatives from the lead Boston campaign organizers for Tulsa Gabbard's campaign coming up on Friday. Oh, very cool. And then next week, the lead campaign organizers from Yang 2020. Have you spoken with them before? Yeah. I mean, I just, what we want to do with it is just like simplify why they're compelling candidates. I think people could benefit from that. Don't you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean kids are, see, you're a smart kid, but kids are, don't really understand voting. Like, they don't understand why they should get out and go out of their way to go vote for something that they don't really understand the impact of. Mm. So so I think if we have any sort of platform here, we could at least say, dude, your vote matters. Yeah, I think that's a whole episode right there. I mean, even, you know, you're talking about specific guests from specific campaigns that you could have on. Um, just thinking big picture about walking people through the voting process. I think a lot of people have, like, this very unwelcome wake-up call where they realize that they're not even registered to vote too late to change anything and then they just kind of sit by and they're like ah shit and you know then it's the next election and they do the same thing again and it's, it's a war radar. <sighs> elections gonna get crazy man yeah well do you want to talk about the election no no, no <laughs> nonetheless we deviated so real quick just so we can cut it up as a clip sure g give me your winners for best picture best actor best actress and don't look at the notepad, Isaac. <laughs> hey, are you cold yet? We've been, you know, it's a little, it's a little chilly. It's a little chilly. <laughs> I was, you know, I was just in Utah, so this is actually, you know, just par for the course. Nice. This has been about there, but okay. So let's talk Oscars. In terms of Best Picture, uh, my vote would be for Parasite. I'm gonna just gamble and say that that's my prediction as well. I think that Parasite has a lot of support across the Academy, as evidenced by the fact that Bong Joon-ho was also put forward for Best Director, um, and the script is up as well. I think that you've got some contenders like 1917 
and Joker that have strong contingents, but I don't think, and also the Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, people who like Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino, I don't think that any of those blocks will be as powerful as an across-the-board appreciation for what Parasite did and how inventive it was and how groundbreaking it was as being this South Korean film. Okay. It's a class satire. Got it. Parasite's your winner. Best yep. actor. Best actor is Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Best actress. Renee Zellweger for Judy. Oh, I didn't see Judy, but I love Renee Zellweger. No one saw Judy. You're still going to win. <laughs> you saw it, though, man. I saw it. <laughs> how many movies did you see this year? Don't ask. <laughs> what do you think? Like over 100? <laughs> well over well 100, over 100 I guess. Oh, I'm sure. My I'm sure. I mean... Think you hit close to a thousand? No, that's not. Three sixty-five. Jesus like Christ! Th- three movies a day. I did go outside. You know, oh, I did, did you? Yeah. What was it like? It was nice. <laughs> kind of bright. A little bit overwhelming. <laughs> immediately back inside. My skin still burned actually yes. from the sunlight. I was gonna say, yeah, your pigment's gone. Yeah, no, it just <laughs> destroys it. But okay, yeah. and now I want best animated. Best animated. Oh God. Um, best animated. That's a good question. Um. Yeah, probably Toy Story 4. Of course. Pixar, baby. They're always the best. Maybe so. Okay. Are you... Oh, we need to talk about Sundance. Give me a quick, like, like a two-minute recap of Sundance, what you liked and what the experience was like. Sundance was wild. I'd never been before. Were you drunk as hell? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is a ski resort. It's at Park City, Utah. It's a ski resort. Um, Everything is so overpriced. I was not getting drunk. $15 a beer. Yes. That's a nice beer that that you could get. Um, But, yeah, no, it was great. It was a really interesting event to kind of see all of these movies in closer section, see what people were talking about, buzzing about at the fest. There were clearly movies that people were really high on that – came out of nowhere. I think the appeal of a festival like that for people who cover this industry is that no one really knows what's going to play, what's going to be great, what's going to be terrible, um, and what people might be talking about through the rest of the year. It's a chance to look at all of that early. Do you want me to walk you through a couple of well, those I movies? just want, what should we expect coming out of the festival to be big movies? I think that the one movie that I saw out of Sundance that I could see having success across the year um, is Minari, which is this film that A24 uh, is putting out. They're it, killing it. Yeah, Steven Yun from The Walking Dead is in it. He plays this um, family patriarch. They moved their family of, um, of Chinese-American immigrants uh, from California to Arkansas, and he is trying to start a farm and go into agriculture. And it is about this family and just how they kind of struggled to stay together and retain their customs. Their grandmother is there as well. Um, and she doesn't quite gel with this new rural setting that they're in. It's just a very, very beautiful movie about family, very beautiful movie about the immigrant experience in America. And it just really, it really made me happy to watch it. It was a beautifully made movie. Minari. Minari. How do you spell that? M-I-N-A-R-I. Minari. Minari. It's Italian. Yeah? I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking marinara sauce. <laughs> <laughs> that ass. Are you hungry, bro? Not at all. Yo. Okay. Nice. And what should we expect from you this year? Like, what are you going to get done? This year? Oh, God. That's a good question. 
Um, I don't want to put too much energy out into the world and not be able to contain it, but hopefully I'm going to be writing about things I care about. Um, going to be writing for places that... You want to write for like some bigger magazines? Yeah, I want to write for some places that I respect and that I really believe in um, and that believe in their writers and put a lot of energy into fostering their writers. I would, I'm not sure if such a place exists. But I was going to say, what's still left? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sad. It's really sad. Um, in, in entertainment, I mean, there are a lot of great publications out there. Variety. Variety. I mean, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, Deadline are all part of the Hollywood trades. The Gawker. Gawker, I would not put in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you've also got like Slate, Vulture. Um, the LA Times is doing some great stuff as well, the Washington Post. Uh, I think that, you know, there is this wealth of publications out there. It's just about having an interesting perspective, something to say, and pitching them at the right moment. Um, for me personally, I don't know. I'm working on uh, scripts myself that I'm just kind of putting together for fun. So maybe that will turn into something. But either way, I'm just hoping to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. And we've been talking a lot about balance on this podcast. I think that if I had a goal for 2020, it would be to find a form of balance that I feel stable in. Comfort. Yes. Sure. I will tell you one thing. Life will always throw you out of balance. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say, but I'll tell you one thing. This year, I will not have balance. Yeah? You may. <laughs> I will not. I know what's coming. I'm scared. Help me, man. What is happening? I don't know, dude. <laughs> God. Why are you... Well, you're you're <laughs> talking a lot about this. Like, you're about to bring the roof down on yourself. Well, it's probably going to come down on us anyway, man. <laughs> it's probably gonna, pipes are probably going to burst. It's so you don't cold. think it's frozen in place? <laughs> it it has. Um, nonetheless, thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You. You're do welcome. You, do you remember uh, how to start in the episode? You're going to have to walk me through it. It's been a while. It's been a long month. I'm Isaac Feldberg. And this is my golden hour. Directly after No Break High, I'm Isaac Feldberg. And that was my golden hour. But we place golden with platinum because it's your second episode. This is That Was. Come on, Isaac. I, I know you aced the, that MCAS, bro. <laughs> you think I, I aced the MCAS? I, I think you did well in your SATs. What'd you get? I was an ACT kid. Ah, you did. I was oh, an ACT did kid. Did you kill the science section? I don't know. I don't remember anything that happened in that year. Oof. It was a rough year. Um, all right, should I go for it? Yeah, whenever you're ready. Hi, this is Isaac Feldberg, and this is my golden hour. Platinum. It's your, your oh, platinum. you on the, on the, okay. I'll go from the top. Go ahead. Hi, this is Isaac Feldberg, and this is my Platinum Hour. Hi, this is Isaac Feldberg, and this has been my Platinum Hour. No. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. This wait. is, and that was. That was. This is. Do you want me to just do the second part? I want you to do the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Dude, it's okay. Everyone blows it. Everyone blows it. You, you know, you were telling me that someone got it right the first try. I, I can't remember who, who that was. Uh, it was like two, uh, well, recently, like two episodes ago, someone aced it. I forget who it was. Anyway, let's give Isaac the floor here. Hi, this is Isaac Feldberg, and this is my Platinum Hour. Bang. Hi, this is Isaac Feldberg, and that was my Platinum Hour.